Well, it is good to have you here. It is great to have the Anderson University women's soccer team, men's soccer team, volleyball team, and cross-country team, along with my friends on the football team who are back for two weeks in a row. Good to have all you guys here. Would you? I'm just glad that you're in the house, okay? It really is cool. I mean, here's the deal. It's been two years since we were able to gather like this and, and be all of us together. I mean, like last year, every one of you would see me on campus. I'm watching online, Pastor. I'm watching online. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you were, if you were, but I'm really glad that you're here. Freshmen, it is good to have you in this place. I hope you remember the directions. You are at Eastside Church of God, all right? So you're welcome back next week, even when the coach doesn't tell you to get up and you have to come, all right? Um, we encourage you to find a place of worship, if not here, somewhere in the city of Anderson, so that you, over your four years, can grow and develop, but also make a difference in this place that we call home. Today, we're in the middle of a series called Come Out Swinging, and it's about what it means to come out of the pandemic. Now, I know I know about the Delta variant and the numbers going up, and some people are like, Pastor, we are not out of this. I know, but someday, we're coming out. All right? Someday we're coming out of this pandemic, and here's how we're coming out. We're coming out of the pandemic as the people of God, who are part of the kingdom of God. And when you come out of a pandemic or any kind of crisis in your life as the people of God, then there's a, there's a different set of values that you bring out. And what we're doing here at Eastside, in fact, we've been doing this since the pandemic began. See, when the, when the pandemic started in March of 2020, um, we had all of these things planned that we thought we were going to do, and then suddenly, like all of you, everything got put on hold, everything got changed. And as I was praying, God, God kind of like really spoke to me and said, hey, you know what? I want you to go back to the very first century. I want you to go back to the very first century church, and I want you to see how they dealt with the crises that were in their life. Because here's the deal. Even though it's been 100 years since we had another pandemic, it's, it's not been 100 years since some of us faced adversity. And facing adversity is something that Scripture teaches us how to do. It's something Jesus did in his life, and it's something he wants us to learn how to do. And one of the things that we have to figure out is what are our values, and how do our values match up or mesh up with the values of Jesus and the way Jesus sees us. Because you see, from the very beginning of creation, from the very beginning of time, there's been this, this dissonance, this conflict between the values. And when there's dissonance and conflict between the values of God and people, then something's got to give. Now, some of you are looking at me and saying, Pastor, what do you mean dissonance between the conflict between, between God and people? Well, if you've read the Bible, in the first two chapters of the Bible, in, in a book called Genesis, which, by the way, just means beginnings, in, in the book of beginnings, it starts with God creating everything. And, and every time he creates something, God goes, this is good. He makes like, I don't know, the wind. That's good. He, he makes the, the, the trees. That's good. He makes animals. He, he made a hippopotamus and went, that's good. Then he made humanity. And he went, oh, that man, that's a good man. But then he, he looked at that man and said, that man's alone. And so he made a woman. Now, you've got to understand, ladies on the, on the athletic teams, I mean, the football team was here last week. 
and they're good guys. I like these guys. They're my friends. But I, you know, every year when you guys show up, soccer ladies, okay, and, and volleyball ladies and cross-country ladies, I just want you to know the men in the room look so much better when you're here, right? It's just like they just got suddenly, they're like, mm, some of them actually shave when y'all show up, okay? It's, a, it's an amazing thing, right? And, 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 and so when God, God looked, it's only one thing he said wasn't good. What, what he said wasn't good was for, for a man to be alone. What, what he said wasn't good was for people to be alone. And so that's why we enter into relationships. That's why community is so important, so that we're not alone. But then in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, it changes. Because you know the story, right? There's this guy named Adam, first man, guy, lady named Eve, first lady. And, and as, as they're living in a perfect place that God made for them, where everything is good. They've been told that there's one thing they can't do. There are two trees in this place they live. And one of them is the, the tree of everlasting life. The other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and what they're told by, by God is, listen, you can have full run of the, of the garden. But there's just one thing you can't do. You can't eat the fruit of these two trees. And so if you read Genesis chapter 3, you, you figure out pretty quickly that they blew it, okay? Now, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the man, and thus started everything, all right? But, but the woman, she, she, she buys the lie. See, there is a lie. And there is someone who is the great liar, the great deceiver. And that someone showed up in the garden and, 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 when, and when Eve was looking at that tree that she had been told, hey, don't touch that, the deceiver looked at her and said, why aren't you eating that? And she said, well, because God told us we couldn't eat that. And he says, well, that, God just did that because he, doesn't, he knows that if you eat that, you're going to be as smart as he is. He's trying to keep you down. And that's the lie. That's the first lie. And the lies have been coming ever since. In fact, I have to, I have to say, so I, I'm a grandpa now. Uh, since we got to have you guys on campus in the last year, my, my son and my daughter-in-law had a little girl. And I'm the proudest grandpa in the world. She is the best granddaughter in the world. I know other people think theirs are, but they're wrong, all right? Mine is the best grandchild in the whole world. She's going to be a year old here soon. And can I tell you something? She can't talk yet. She grunts. Actually, she growls. I have it on tape, all right? I'm, I'm thinking she may be the first female linebacker at Anderson University because she growls, all right? She's just like, Rrr, all right? And, and, and so here's, here's the deal. Um, my granddaughter, my granddaughter's going to die. She's going to lie. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for her first lie. You're like, well, pastor, that's pretty pessimistic. No, she's human. And humans lie. In fact, you lie. In fact, those of you who just, when I said that, said, well, I don't lie. No, you just lied. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to think a minute. Go way back in the recesses of your mind, and I want you to, I want you to remember, if you can, your first lie. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, that's been a long time ago. Yeah, I know. And so here's what I want you to do, because you're kind of in, in your groups, uh, athletic teams. Uh, east side folks, thank you so much for moving to the back and to the balcony so these guys could be down. But whether you're in the balcony or under the balcony, whether you're with an athletic team or not, I want you to take about 35, 40 seconds right now. Turn to the person next to you, and, and here's what I want you to do. Tell them your first lie. Some of you are like, what? 
No, really, turn, turn, turn to him. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be a big lie, okay? Just turn to him. Now, what was your first lie? We get there. Okay, all right, okay. All right, so here's, here's the deal. Some of y'all were enjoying that way too much. Now, here, here's, here's, here's what I, <laughs> these guys down here like, Pastor, what was your first lie? All right, it was this. I didn't do it. My brother did it. It wasn't me. And, and here's, here's the reason I ask you to think about that. I ask you to think about it because I, I believe the God who made you good also makes a way for us to overcome the lies. And right now, in our culture, it's just huge. It's huge for us to figure out as the people of God. And by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that's okay. We're we're so glad that you're here, and you can check us out. There's no question that is off limits for you to ask us, okay? I want you to know Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit can handle any question you've got. But I also want you to know that Jesus died so you could overcome the lie. And this morning, we're going to talk about what causes the lies, and we're going to talk about how to overcome the lie. And here's why. Because right now, who knows what the truth is? I mean, this week, you know, we've, we've watched a, a place where, where people from this nation invested 20 years of their life in trying to help a, another culture. In fact, there are people in this room today who have been in Afghanistan serving for the, the military. And, and to those of you, thank you so much. And I want you to know, as just one believer to another believer, that, that some of you are questioning whether what you did was worth anything because the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan so quickly and so, so completely already. And I just want you to know, you served out of your integrity, and I want you to know God will honor that in your life. I want to thank you for that. But the, but the fact of the matter is, we live in a world with 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 conflicting values, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. There are different sets of values. And yet, in the kingdom of God, there is a set of values that transcends all cultures. There, there's a set of values that, that, that actually can permeate any culture, even, even this is going to be tough for some of you, for the Taliban. Even the Taliban is not beyond the reach of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to know is that there's a way to overcome the conflicting values. But first of all, you've got to understand what the process is. And, and so the first thing I want us to grab hold of today, if you're a note taker, you're going to need to write these down. If you, if you want to do them digitally, uh, actually, if you download our app, there's a place there for, for you can take sermon notes. But, but here's, the, here's the first thing I want you to get. Value conflicts, the, the, the conflicts between value systems. Those allow lies to originate. They give birth to them. It's the value conflicts that give birth to the, to the falsehood, to the lies. And, and they originate in, in the fear of personal loss. See, it doesn't really matter to me what your first lie was because I know why you lied. 
It really doesn't matter what the lie was. I know why you lied. You lied to protect yourself. You lied because you were afraid you were going to lose something. You lied in order to try to impress somebody. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ came to show us who we are so that we don't believe the lies of the one who's the enemy of our soul and so that we become people of integrity who live in such a way that, that our life reflects truth and love and grace and mercy. But value conflicts are the places that, that allow lies to be birthed. They, they allow them to, to, to be birthed in this place of feeling as if I'm going to lose something important to me. The story is in Acts chapter 19. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who we've been following in some of this uh, story of the early church, is in the city of Ephesus. Now, if you've been watching us online or you've been here over the last few weeks, some of you guys from the football team, you'll remember last week I told you and a couple of weeks ago we talked about it. Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman Empire in the first century. It's a city of about 250,000 people. It's a port city so that you can, you can do world trade by sea. It's also connected to all the Roman road in, the, in, the, in Asia, what we would call Asia Minor. And it was a place where, where you could get there by land or you could get there by sea. Merchants came there and there was a huge Jewish synagogue and Jewish colony in Ephesus. And that's where Paul, along with a ministry team, a husband and wife team named Priscilla and Aquila, that's where they were served. And for three years, they had been doing amazing things. God had been using them. We talked about some of them last week. And, and God did amazing healings in people's lives. He put broken pieces back together. And he did all of that through the teaching of Paul. And so at, after the end of that three years, Paul, Paul was never a guy to say, okay, okay, we're just going to stay right here. No, he's looking for a place where he can share the gospel and then the gospel can go out. And that's what it had done from Ephesus all up and down the Lycos Valley into different places like Colossae and, and other towns on those roads. And so when, when he sees that happening, he sees these people growing, then he makes a decision. It's a really powerful decision. It, it's recorded for us in Acts 19, verse 21. Just, just listen for a minute. Now, after these events, all of those healings, all of that teaching, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia, in Ephesus, for a while. So he's made up his mind, hey, I'm going I'm to go make this trip, and then I'm going to go share the gospel in other places. And then, then, just to be honest with you, all hell breaks loose in Ephesus. Look at what happens. About this time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, in the book of Acts, when it says the way, and if you've got your Bible on your app or wherever you've got it, it'll be capitalized. That's a way of talking about following Jesus. We talked last week. Religion is not the answer, okay? Religion fails in adversity. It's a relationship with Jesus that makes life livable. And so as as people are now starting to say things about the way, listen to what happened. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Now, you've got to get this story. In Ephesus, there's a temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana. 
Now, if you watch the Marvel series, all of those, those shows, you see about the Greek gods, the different Greek gods that are part of it. Okay, this is, this is one of those Greek gods. Her name is Artemis. Now, they worship in her temple, which is in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, in this temple, there is this rock, this rock that fell from the sky. And when it fell from the sky, everybody was like, wow, the gods have spoken. And you've got to see a picture of it. You can Google it, fact check me sometime. The, the, the picture of it, it's a really kind of odd shaped, and, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. They, what they saw in it was they saw multiple female breasts on this rock. That's what these pretty sick people saw, all right? And so when they saw that, they said, oh, we need to worship this because this is, this is like the source of life. And so the, the goddess had sent down this image. Now, Demetrius is a silversmith. And in, in this temple, they actually had a, a bank, a, a, a depository of silver. And Demetrius and other men would take that silver, they would melt it down, and then the craftsmen would make replicas of this image of the goddess. And people would have them in their home, and they would bow down to them. And so as Paul is teaching people to follow Jesus, and teaching people that there is no human hand that can make a divine image, but only a divine hand that can make a human being, people stop buying the images of the goddess Artemis. And so now, now suddenly Demetrius, Demetrius starts connecting the dots. And he goes, hey, wait a minute. Um, if they stop worshiping the idols that, that these guys make, then I'm not going to have anybody to sell the silver to. And I'm going to lose money. See, I told you, all value conflicts Create a situation in which lies originate out of a sense of personal loss. In this case, it's economic. I mean, listen to the rest of the story. We've got it up here for you to, to watch and read as well. Because here's what happens. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These craftsmen he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. See, what, what's going on is that in this conflict of the values between a Christian faith that Paul's teaching and the worship of the goddess Artemis and the economy of Ephesus, Suddenly, there's a sense of loss. See, that's where the lies start. That lie you talked about earlier, as I told you, it's because you didn't want to lose a relationship. You didn't want to lose a possession. You didn't want to lose status. You didn't want to lose power. And that's where the lies start. But it's not that they just start there. Now, here's, here's the power of a lie. The, the, the power of a lie is that when reason... <laughs> When reason has been the way you're acting and you're in the room with reason and you're thinking and you're calm 
and you're collected and you're analytical. You're functioning well. But when emotion runs into the room, because emotion never walks slowly. When emotion runs into the room, reason flies out the window. See, what happens is that, that when somebody starts a lie, when the lie originates, it gets perpetuated in the emotions of people. See, lies are perpetuated in the emotions of a crowd. One of my mentors, pastor in Detroit during the 1960s, during all of the, the, the racial hardship in the city, he was an African-American man. He died a few years ago. I was honored to, to preach at his funeral. Some of you will see his picture on the Anderson University campus. He was our campus pastor when I was there. His name was James Earl Massey. And Dr. Massey and I would have these conversations about, about the 1960s because I was just a kid. And I'd ask him, what was it like to, to house Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife in your home? He said, I learned I'm a better bowler than him. I'm like, Martin bold? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you know, I've, I've seen some footage of, of Martin's funeral. You, the two of you were close. Why weren't you there? He said, Coretta invited me. But, but the leaders of my city in Detroit, after Martin's assassination, knew that the city of Detroit was a powder keg. And he said, so they asked me to stay and to help keep the city, along with three other pastors, to help keep the, the, the city safe. And he said, so I called Coretta and said, which should I do? She said, Jim, stay, stay in Detroit. Help Detroit. Can, can I tell you something? I was in awe, right? I'm listening to this guy who's been at the core of the civil rights battle. And then he turned to me and said, because Carrie, you have to always control the emotions of a crowd from the lies that are being told to them. I said, what are you talking about? He said, people, people in huge crowds, thousands, tens of thousands of people, when, when, when the emotions get out of control, it, it, it is chaos and it is dangerous. In fact, Carrie, I'll just be real honest with you. Anytime I'm in a place like that, I'm always looking for where the exits are. And I have to tell you, I love going to ball games in the big stadiums. I love concerts. I love that stuff. But I'm now, ever since that conversation with Dr. Massey, I'm always looking for the, for the exits. <laughs> we'll make sure I can get where I need to get if this thing goes south pretty quick. You say, now, Pastor, what are you talking about, Ephesus and Detroit? Well, here, listen. Listen to what happens when emotions take over a crowd. In verse 28, when they heard this, when the crowd heard what was being said by Demetrius, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, so that the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confession and, or was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. 
Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So you've got basically in a stadium that would seat about 25,000 people, the place is packed. And you've got all these 25,000 people just shouting for two hours. And did you hear what what Luke said about him in in this chapter? He said, and many of them didn't even know why they were shouting. The emotions had just taken over. You see, that's what happens with the lies. When, when when, When the lies originate in the value conflict, then they get perpetuated by the emotions of the crowd. And right now, we're living in a world where that's what's happening. And it's not just happening on Twitter. It's not just happening on Facebook. It's not just happening on Instagram. It's happening in conversations. It's happening at stoplights. It's happening all over the world. I was down, I was down in Indy this week to see some friends who were in the hospital down there. And I got off in one of those roundabouts, okay? If you're from Anderson and you go to Carmel, Noblesville, Fishers, and the roundabouts are there. Okay, we got three roundabouts in Anderson. We have to look for them. And then we have to practice before we go down there. Because I'm coming off into one of those roundabouts, and there's some gal ahead of me in a, in a, in a car, and she thought she had to yield to everybody coming the other direction. She had the right of way. She was in the roundabout. She was supposed to be, for those of you who don't know this, please go practice. You get to go round and round as long as you want in the roundabout, okay? But if you stop and wait for the people coming in who are supposed to be yielding to you, people like me almost run into the back of you. And there was this guy, he literally got out of his car window, hung out the window, yelling at the lady, you have the right of way. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Because the guy behind me was about to run into me. And I thought a little bit later, why were we all so tense? I mean, I was going to visit somebody in the hospital. I didn't want to be in the hospital. But everybody was angry. See, right now we're living in a time where the the conflict of values is creating the emotion, and the emotions are causing reason to fly out the window. And the emotions are causing people not to think or listen well. And so what's going on in Ephesus 2,000 years ago is going on now where you live because that's what lies do. Lies originate in the sense of loss and lies are perpetuated by the emotions of people. And here's what has to happen. Somewhere in the midst of that perpetuation, somebody has to speak truth. Now, I realize that's a, that's a foreign word. We're living in a world right now where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and we're just going to let everybody exist. Can I tell you something? We're wrong. Jesus said it real plainly in John chapter 14, the gospel of John, the 14th chapter. He makes this statement to his disciples. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to see God the Father without coming through me. Now, he didn't say I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, and anybody who wants gets to see God. No, no, he said If you know me, you know God. So what Jesus is saying in the face of all of the emotions, in the face of all of the emotions and the lies, he's saying, hey, look, I am truth. You really want to know how to live in this world that I created you to live in? You really want to be the person I made you to be? Then here's what you've got to do. You've got to meet me. 
You've got to live the way I want you to live. And the way I want you to live is marked by grace and love and mercy and truth. And there's no better example of that than Jesus. So in the midst of this chaos, did you hear what I read a few minutes ago? As I was telling you about the chaos, as we're looking at all this passage, when they were enraged and crying out and doing all that, did, did you hear? Paul wanted to run in and defend himself. He wanted to run into the theater. But the disciples and the Asiarchs, they said to him, hey, Paul, don't do that. Because, Paul, here's what we want you to know. We want you to know that we got your back. We want you to know that your integrity has impressed us. We want you to know that you know the truth, you've shared the truth with us, and we get it. So here's what you've got to know. Integrity protects people of truth in the face of falsehood. If you don't hear anything else I say to you today, please grab hold of that. Because not only have you lied, but I promise you somebody's lied about you. And somebody's lied to you. But it's the integrity and the truth of Jesus in your life that will protect you in the face of the falsehood. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I was real blessed. My, my dad was a pastor. And he was always a pastor who, it's one of the reasons I get so excited, university students, when you guys show up around here. And this, this congregation loves university students, whether you're from Anderson or Ball State or Taylor. Um, if you're from Manchester, we have to pray hard, okay? But uh, other than that, all right? But, uh, but, but that's for the football team, guys, just to let you know, all right? But, uh, but, but we, we really, really do want you to know who Jesus is. And, and I grew up in a church like that, filled with young people. My dad was the pastor. In fact, in, in about a five- to eight-year period, there were 12 of us from that church youth group. Church wasn't very large. 150 people. There were more people in this room today than there were on Easter Sunday in that church. But, um, but loved us. And, and the way they loved us was they just celebrated who we were. And, and, and in fact, 12 of us ended up either as pastors or missionaries or the heads of non-for-profit organizations serving Jesus Christ around the world. But when we were in high school, one of the ways they loved us was if we did anything... I mean, if we made like, you know, the A and B honor roll in eighth grade, some lady in the church would clip it out of the newspaper and pin it on a bulletin board and underline our name. I mean, they celebrated us all the time. And, and one of those celebrations, I don't remember what I did. I don't remember what it was. I just know that my picture was in the paper, okay? I, I, I felt like, you guys are young. You people who are old, you remember an old movie by Steve Martin called The Jerk, Okay where his name gets in the phone book, and he runs around going, I'm somebody, my name's in the phone book. You guys down front don't even know what a phone book is. That's okay, all right? But, but, I, but, but, but I, I was like, yes, my picture's in the paper. And I went into church, and some little old lady in the church had clipped it out, and she'd put it on that bulletin board, and I'm like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm 15, 16 years old, and I'm somebody. And then I walked in the next Sunday, and somebody had taken a magic marker. And suddenly I had glasses that I hadn't had before and a mustache and a beard and some other things and some words were written about me and they were not complimentary. And my daddy was the pastor. I'm going to make sure that sucker comes down, right? And so I go to my dad and he's like, what's up? And I said, he's, oh, don't worry about it. No, okay, that happens. And I have to tell you, for years, 
I was trying to figure out who did that. For years, I, I had this guy I knew did it. He hurt me, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then when I'm here in college, uh, one, of those, one of those other guys in my youth group was here too. And um, my parents moved. They took another church in another state, actually in Missouri. And I'd grown up in Mississippi. But the guy from my Mississippi youth group needed a ride home, and his family could come to Missouri and pick him up. And so he, he went with me to as far as my parents' house, and he was going to spend the night. And at dinner that night, my brothers and my parents and I, we got into a conversation about what it's like to live in a preacher's home and all the stuff and the pressure that goes with it. My brothers and I were sharing stories of, you know, little old ladies who pinch your cheek and all kinds of things. And, and, and that night, as we're going to sleep, my buddy is in the, the, the bed on the other side of the room, and, and we've been talking a little bit. Suddenly it's that we're just going to go to sleep, and it's night. And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, I hear him say, hey, Kerry? I said, Yeah. Uh, before you go to sleep, there's one thing I need to tell you. You remember when we were in high school and somebody like drew pictures on your picture on that bulletin board at the church? I'm like, yeah, who was that? Out of the darkness came, it was me. I, I was this close, y'all. I was this close. I was coming out of the bed. He was about to pay for it with his life, all right? When he said, but I, I listened to you and your brother your brothers tonight. And, and see, I always thought you had it easy because your daddy was the pastor and everybody gave you stuff. But what I figured out was you had it harder than I did. So I'm sorry. I, I couldn't do anything. He had me. I, 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 in the darkness, I said, dude, I forgive you. You have no idea how hard it was to say that. He had lied about me. He had said some stuff about me to people. But when he said, hey, will you forgive me? See, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was already a follower of Jesus then. Actually, I was up here playing football and studying to be a pastor. And it was the football part that wanted to tear him up. It was the pastor part that made me have to forgive him. And finally in my life, I got the two of those together. And what I want you to know is you can have the two of those together. And what happens in Ephesus is that the disciples and the Asiarchs, who, by the way, they were the leading people. They're like the city council, and they get them together. They, they say to Paul, you stay out, man. We know your integrity. We know who you are. And they protected him because integrity protects people of truth in the face of falsehood. And I'm so glad that we learned that lesson, that I learned that lesson. Because, see, I also learned that truth always prevails. No matter what lie is told, truth always prevails. And the reason I'm so glad I learned that lesson in the guest room of a church parsonage all those years ago is because that buddy of mine, yeah, he grew up to be one of the first missionaries to leave this country to go into the former Soviet Union when the Soviet Union dissolved into a country where no one had been able to teach about Jesus, to teach school, to teach English in a school, and to tell people about Jesus. And our friendship had grown, but what none of us knew was that his time was short. Because you see, before his 33rd birthday, he suffered a massive heart attack and died on the field serving Jesus.
I can't imagine what I would be carrying around today. The voices in my head. I'd still be trying to figure out who drew those glasses on me. If he hadn't said, hey, Carrie, I'm sorry. And so this morning, what, what, what I want to ask you is, are you willing to let Jesus help you overcome the lies? The lies in our culture, yeah. The lies people say about you, yeah. But here's the worst one. The lie you tell about yourself. Paul was. Because you see, here's how we know that truth always prevails in spite of our doubts. In that stadium, 25,000 people shouting for two hours in confusion and chaos. The town clerk quiets the crowd. He says, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper for the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, because these men knew from the Old Testament teachings of the Bible that it does no good to run down your opposition. You're better off to lift up your Savior. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And Paul was protected. You say, how do you know, Pastor? Because of the next verse in Acts chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said, farewell. And departed from Macedonia. Paul learned how to overcome the lies. And my prayer for you today is that you will as well. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Hey, Jesus, we are so glad that you came to show us who God is. We are so glad that you came to be truth for us. We are so grateful that no matter what anyone has said about us or what we've said about ourselves or what Satan himself tries to feed us as a lie. You, you are truth, and you tell us that you love us. You tell us that we're good. You tell us that we can be, we can literally be salvaged from the garbage pile of our life. And we can know truth and love and mercy when we know you. And so right now, Jesus, all around this room and online listening, there are people who have been believing the lies about themselves, about you. And right now, in your name, Jesus, we, we rebuke that. Right now, in your name, we bind up the deceiver, Satan himself, and we cast him away, far, far away from these, your children, from those who call the name of Jesus. Lord, for those who are in this room right now and the lies are overwhelming them, I pray that you give them the courage 
in these next few moments to simply ask you to forgive them for believing the lie and let them listen to the truth you want to speak, the integrity you want to produce because you will ultimately prevail. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.